0: This is Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation podcast, recorded Friday, February 15, 2013, this time on UCAP. AOPA and the NTSB want us to expand our pre-flight passenger briefings. The U.S. government is taking down their observation blimps in Florida, but threatening to add them into the airspace around Washington, D.C. It seems that the airlines are safer than ever, and rumors of the demise of the magic ingredient in 100 Low Lead are at least somewhat exaggerated. All this and more on uncontrolled airspace, nest full of woolly worms. Well, anyways, before this thing goes crazy again, let's try and do this thing. So, uh, there's a list. Oh, yeah. Yay!
1: It's a list to the left, a list to the right, a list to the stern, a list to the bow. STEM and Stern, David. STEM and Stern.
0: You keep your
2: damn Stern away from my STEM or vice versa.
0: (laughs) So, I don't know where this came from. Let's see now. Uh, AOPA suggests enhanced passenger briefings. Uh, NTSB commends AOPA for response to safety recommendations. I I think this came out of the... uh, the oh,
1: Stevens accident
0: the senator senator Stevens accident up in Alaska way back when when uh the uh, it turned out that the emergency locator thing wasn't working and it's possible apparently that if a passenger had known how to operate it they might have been able to get the word out am i am i expressing that right or is that what this is all about apparently there was a sat phone on board oh better yet okay i think
2: um but no one really knew how to use anything. They had not, not been briefed. And the people who did know how to use you know, what was left uh, were dead or incapable of using it themselves. Yep, yep. And there were, what, three survivors? Uh, I know there was a f- father and a son who survived. I think there was a third person who survived uh, out of, what, nine
1: yeah, something like that. Yeah.
2: Eight, the, eight or nine.
0: Yeah. Reading from a piece in uh, generalaviationnews.com, uh, the NTSB recommended that AOPA educate pilots about the benefits of notifying passengers about the location and operation of survival and emergency communication equipment aboard the airplane. So, uh um and apparently AOP has gone ahead and done this i haven't seen this but apparently they've created a video that uh is uh, uh you know kind of talks about enhanced passenger briefings um do you do more than so what what's what is the legally required passenger briefing it's seatbelts
2: and doors right <clears throat> sit down strap in shut <laughs> up
1: no really it's <laughs> uh, 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 jack he's not far off i mean you well no. you're, they yeah. want you to brief. The, they want you to brief the passenger on what's necessary to uh, uh, be a paid, safe passenger. It's not like they go through a hard and fast checklist on some of this, and of course, it varies according to the aircraft. Uh, <clears> I always like to brief them on. You know, I'm going to assume since most of you came here in a car, you already know how to do the seat belt thing. Uh, here's oh. how the door works. Mm-hmm. Here's how the seat works. If in the event that we're going to go down someplace, I will probably unlatch the door before we get down uh, and suggest that you take the opportunity that I'll give you to get out first, but do it quick.
2: Well, what, what, I, what I was thinking is, is uh, maybe, you know, look at this, isn't there a rag somewhere? Well, that's what this I'm looking for right now. Some of this. Yeah,
0: right, and and uh, that's what I'm looking for too.
2: Yeah, there's there's a, there's a reg somewhere in '91. I just got to find it here for. You know, that's what I've been kind of distracted with. But um, I mean, yeah, clearly a pre, a passenger briefing, a is required. I just got to find the cite, the citation. Um, B um, is common sense. Right. You yeah. Know, it, it, you wouldn't. Expect to go out, you know, beyond sight of landing in a boat without kind of knowing how it worked, or some other people knowing how it worked, uh, other than the guy driving. So right. it's just common sense.
1: Well, you need something for, else to consider for, here too.
2: Oh. Yeah, uh,
1: David. This this wasn't a ninety-one flight. If I remember correctly, this was a one thirty-five.
2: This was a ninety-one flight. It was, was it a ninety-one? This was a ninety. Well, you know, again, I've got the uh, the thing open. I, um, all right. Let's see. Uh, airline transport pilot and four passengers. Re- so there's five dead. Received fatal injuries. Four passengers received serious injuries. So there were nine aboard. Four of them survived. Um, now let me double check this. Getting a reference back to a bigger report, which is probably a good thing. Let me find this other report. Just put us on hold for a second. Mm-hmm. So Jeb, did you uh, find yeah, it? So, 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 yeah, so in looking at the regs, you know, pre-flight actions and things like that, uh let's we'll start with 91.107. Uh a pair of sentence in which uh reads um, no pilot may take off unless the pilot in command ensures each person aboard is briefed on how to fasten and unfasten the safety belt or or and or shoulder harness. Um you know, when when to put on when to uh, take it off you know uh, things like that um, and there's some other things in there about restraints but there's no you know formal declaration here you know where the exits are things like that I haven't found that yet I'm, I might not be in 91 clearly that seatbelt requirement is and that's a pre-flight action
0: Mm-hmm. I think most people, most people do seatbelts and doors, mm-hmm. um, and I'm kind of curious what, and David talked a little bit about some of the extra things he does. Um, mm-hmm. Two things that I almost always do when I uh, do a pr- passenger briefing is that I also uh, talk to them a little bit about how to help me spot other aircraft. Right. Um, I, I ask them to keep their eyes open. I ask them to uh, not assume that I saw another airplane, mm-hmm. to uh, point it out and to make, make sure I acknowledge that that you know that I've that they've pointed it out. And uh and then the other thing I usually do in a in a pre flight briefing is to uh is to uh um, ask them to keep the conversation down or, or, or no conversation during takeoff and landing, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so those and then and then you know whatever might seem appropriate at the time. But uh, those are, those are the things that I usually add. Amy told us when way back when when she told us her legendary uh, ditching story, she talks about uh, adding uh, things. If it's going to be an overwater flight, uh, right. she adds a lot of things to her passenger briefing um, about surviving a ditching. You know, which kind of stands to reason and makes a lot of good. Sense. Jeb, do you add any other things to your passenger briefing?
2: Well, I mean, all the things that y'all have touched on are when I've got an ab initio passenger. uh, Yeah, I go through all these things. You know, keep, you know, nothing's going to happen to us. Nothing's going to happen to you. But this is, you know, a little bit different from riding in your car, and here's why. Um, And I want to, you know, yeah, if you do see another airplane, get my attention. Um, Communications, if I, you know, do X, Y, or Z, I mean, shut up and let me talk um to uh, to a t c um and um you know various other things about the airplane about the doors of course and the seat belts, how to use the headsets hmm, okay. Um, okay um if they're really new um or and or interested you know I'll show them how to throw the yoke over if if uh something if there was a reason to um little things like that. They've got a push-to-talk button on their side of the, of the panel. Here's how to use it. Uh, anything you say with that button mashed will we'll go out on whatever frequency is selected, things like that. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things um, that you can get into. It really depends. Obviously, you know, with, with either of the two of you, it's like, you know, get in, sit down, and shut up because you know what you're doing in, a, in the airplane. Mm-hmm. But uh, with an ab initio person or someone who, quite frankly, doesn't want to be there in the first place, um, you need to do a lot more.
0: Yeah. Um, AOPA also has on their website, I'm looking right now, I just sent you guys a link to um, a a briefing card that they propose that you use that talks about uh, uh, telling people where the location of things like first aid kits are, fire extinguishers, handheld radios, emergency beacon switches, uh, and, you know, um, other things like personal locator beacons, satellite phones. Um, And then it has a a blank for you to fill out with all sorts of other emergency contact information and frequencies and and whatnot. This is pretty pretty comprehensive. I'm not sure if it's all – I mean, you never know what's going to come in handy in an emergency situation. So I guess – Yeah, to me,
1: it comes across as something that is less suitable for, okay, hi, folks. Before we go flying – let me address the 37 safety notes that I need you to pay attention to before we start the taxi. Yeah, well,
0: you don't want to overdo it. You're right,
1: because then you know, they won't pay attention. Engrave it on a stainless steel card and keep it in the seat back and say, now, if anything bad starts to happen, this shows you where the, the defibrillator is, if there is one fire extinguisher, if there is one E-PERB, if there is one tailored to specific to, specifically to the uh, equipment in your airplane. But put it on a card. I mean something that they can look at while you're taxiing out. Yeah. How much are they going to remember on a first flight when they're all fired up about taking a first flight?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I finally found a reference here, um, some references anyway, to the um, Stevens Ted Stevens accident. Some more of them. And um, yes, this this was a specific recommendation that came out of uh, the NTSB final report um, to the re- to the AOPA to come up with this program. And this. Right, these recommendations were made in May of uh, two thousand
0: eleven. I just got uh, I just got uh, finished the other day with a uh, another encounter with the airline system, and sure. uh, you, you know, too? yeah, that's why you did too. So uh, they uh, it's it's always I don't know disturbing or something to watch how the other passengers do or don't pay attention to the the safety instructions that, uh, that are being given, you know, it's just like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I used to be casual about it too. I, for me, one of the big turning point in really paying attention to the passenger briefing, even on an airliner was, uh, when, uh, Captain Haynes, um, used went around, gave his talk after the, uh, what was it? Sioux city, um, crash way back when right the dc-10 and and right. he talked a lot about things that made a difference in saving lives on that particular case and uh you know the whole idea even as a, as a as a person who's relatively comfortable on aircraft and somewhat familiar you know he says listen up you know you never know what might be different and and you're sitting in a different spot every single time so you want to look around you know and uh i uh i can never decide how pushy to be as a passenger um, against my fellow passengers. Uh, I, I on one of my flights the other day. I was sitting in a window seat and the person in the middle seat next to me had her luggage that didn't fit underneath the seat in front of her. So it was sort of in the aisle. All right. And she actually had like a racquetball racket in a small case and it didn't fit at all. It was literally blocking the aisle to, to between me, you know, the, the, the foot space. I mean, it was blocking between that and and the aisle. And I was looking at that and and I was just like looking at it and thinking, well, okay, here we go. I'm going to die right here. You know, because if we need to get out of this airplane, I'm not going to, you know, this is going to slow me down. Um, And and I'm looking at it going, should I say something to this woman? Should I flag down the, the flight attendant? You know, and, uh, it was a little disturbing to realize that the fl- I watched the, the flight attendants. I was really hoping the flight attendants would catch this. And so I was watching them go up and down the aisles. And the flight attendant looked right at this woman's feet. All right, I just can't imagine the flight attendant didn't see this. And the flight attendant didn't do anything about it. And, and I didn't want to be pushy because I was going to be sitting next to this person for two hours. And so I kind of let it be you know but you never know i never know how much to to uh, to push back on these things you know as uh,
1: much as it takes to make yourself safer well you know
0: this, this, you can always do something to make yourself safer you got to draw a line someplace you know and uh
1: well, i'm uh, saying you, you you were looking at a situation that clearly could have been uh handicapping uh in the event of the, the unlikely event of you needing to get the hell out of there in a hurry uh, at, at the same time if you had the ten or fifteen minutes that very often precedes an un, uh unplanned landing, mm-hmm. uh I'd a damn well said, Lady, move your racket.
2: <laughs> yeah, really
1: you know, okay. Before we before we hit whatever we hit, that racket's out of here. Yeah. Uh, not even if she was bigger than me. So here's so a here's, here's a go. but here's
0: a here's a, sim, a, a somewhat similar situation for you, and I'm going to drift way into politically incorrect situ, uh, uh, ground here. But um, so a, a different flight. Uh, this was a couple of years ago, and I'm sitting in my window seat, and the and the person who's going to be sitting next to me arrives, and it turns out that it's someone on crutches. All right. And this person, you know, uh, uh, hobbles over up the aisle and climbs into the seat and then they take the person's crutches away and stow them someplace. And I'm sitting here thinking, Oh man, you know, I mean, I'm terribly sympathetic to this person who's trying to get around and do their thing. All right. But if we need to get out of this airplane, I've got all kinds of problems now, all right? Yeah, really. You know, because I've got a person who's probably not going to be able to move very well, and so, you know, I'm going to have to wonder That's okay. I'll be glad to help them right after I climb over them. <laughs> you know, I was thinking how much am I going to injure this person climbing over them? when the time No, it's terrible. Not As much as
1: they're already hurt.
0: You know, so I, it's just like a really, really complicated problem, you know, um and uh so, you know, we were landing on one of these flights the other day, and uh, and and they as you're as we're you know landing and then we're taxiing off the runway uh, onto the taxiways and of course as always the flight attendants come on the uh, on the intercom and say say you know welcome to town um, you know we're gonna be taxiing for a little while don't unbuckle your seatbelt until we get to the gate all right and as the person as the flight attendant finished saying this. <laughs> People all around, I heard like three seatbelts click, all right, uh-huh. as people were unbuckling their seatbelts, you know. And once again, you know, I'm tempted to just kind of like go, you know, did you didn't obviously see that video that was viral like about a year ago of the two airplanes crashing into each other on the taxiway right. and one of them getting spun 180 degrees, all right. That's why you keep your seatbelt buckled while you're taxiing, you know. You think you're on the ground, you're safe.
1: <laughs> Makes me wish for that extra brake pedal. That cars in driver's ed used to have, mm-hmm. the one over on the right. Oh side. yeah, I know. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like as soon as I hear that, uh, I- I've seen people start to try to get up and crouch behind the seat si- in front of them, but they're getting up and they're reaching down and pulling stuff out from under the seat that they can't get out while they're sitting there, and they think they can't be seen. And I just want to slam on the brakes and have them go, dink. <laughs> okay, so.
0: Uh- Anyways, well, the passenger briefing. Pay attention if you're a passenger, and think through what uh, what are the useful uh, you know safety recommendations to give to your passengers. And uh, I don't know, we'll all be a little bit safer, maybe, hopefully. Anyways. Uh, welcome folks to Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson and I'm sitting here once again in uh, Sarasota, fl- or ne- somewhere near Sarasota, Florida and talking to my two good friends. Uh, first of all out there is also in Sarasota, Florida, Jeb Burnside's there. How you doing Jeb? Doing fine. Doing yeah fun. so yeah. uh that thanks again there. for letting me continue to be your guest like I said I've been away a couple of times but I keep returning and uh, I'm sure it just you know gives you dismay you Ooh, know a
1: new nickname boomerang jack
0: yeah that's right
2: <laughs> <laughs> Boomerang <laughs> <laughs> so
0: uh <laughs> Uh, back here again i 'll probably be here for you know, a little bit longer, but I got to go home and, and and Jeb's been very gracious, but he 's going to kick me out anytime soon so it always
1: comes back it
0: always comes back uh, I'll be back anyway so uh so Jeb what else is going on what's going on how are you doing what you', you been doing anything fun or really? um, yeah um,
2: another issue of aviation safeties uh, aviation safety magazines in the can mm-hmm Uh, March issue Um, looks really good. So I'm I'm glad to get that off my shoulder. Yeah. Taking a few days here to tackle some projects around the house.
0: I know we were working on one of your motorcycles this afternoon and, and we actually almost got it. We we, we didn't really dialed in. We didn't break many new things this time. That's right. (laughs) And so no we almost got it it's a, no, we're doing good we're doing good and I feel like I'm actually con- contributing just the tiniest bit and like doing more than just handing you tools
2: oh, oh absolutely you
0: are and, every and now this, and then I kind of like uh-huh. go well no isn't this that way and uh, when
2: I get frustrated and I get ready to go get the shotgun and blow the thing in the, in the next county you take over and, and you know and just adjust it and get it yeah. just right and, I
0: wave a screwdriver at it you know and then no no okay but no I enjoy doing that it's fun and, yeah, uh, and uh, it's a cool same motorcycle here. once we to get it running it's going to be great so uh, that's good also here in the uh, virtual
1: hangar is Dave Higdon from Wichita Kansas how you doing David don't doing great I'd love to be unwrapping my bike today but uh, <clears throat> excuse me catching up a little bit from the uh, flotsam sandwiched between two experiences with the airlines in the last week one leaving and one coming back yeah well so, yeah. It, it was everything that I love about flying the airlines and nothing that I hate.
0: Yeah, I mean, we could have a whole podcast about the things about the airlines that we hate. I'm going to try and avoid that because it was not my. Fa- it was not, as a rule, I'm pretty. I'm pretty tolerant of the airlines, but this particular trip wasn't working for me, and so, uh, um. Anyways, we won't talk about that. What's going on? Is it? What's the weather been like, out there, uh, David? Is it? Is it still cold? Winter cold? Is it getting to be spring
1: yet? Well, it was uh, about. 57 or 58 yesterday, Uh, it got really chilly overnight because we had a system with some cold weather precepts swing south of us and back up to the northeast, headed toward New England, Uh, I understand. Uh, So it's been a little more brisk today, but uh, we we haven't had anything near serious winter yet. So Mm -hmm. if it doesn't show up soon, we're going to sell its room off to somebody else.
2: What a coinky day We yeah. haven't seen much of a real winter down here either. Yeah. Well, ever since uh, since
0: I think it was the last episode of the podcast, um, they had a big snowstorm up in uh, up in Boston. It was what Nemo oh. it was Nemo, I think was. And, right. Right. Uh, it apparently really snowed. I'm I'm so glad I'm down here. That was this is a much better place to be considering the weather in New England lately. Apparently, it's snowing. I guess it's going to snow again tonight and tomorrow. It got to 50, over 50 degrees there today, so it's getting close to me being able to go home, but not quite yet. And uh, um, those are just pauses between. I, I you know, I don't know. I have a friend who spent all last fall saying, "Oh, I know this is going to, you know, because remember last winter, the winter before, it hardly snowed at all, at least in New England. It didn't snow probably three inches all winter long, and uh, and so this this when this winter was coming, my friend keeps going, "Oh, it's going to be a big winter this year. I know it. I can tell. I've, you know, I've read something, or I don't know where he got this, and and we all just kind of nodded, yeah, yeah, okay, if you say so. But he's turning out to be true, so he's going to be impossible to live with this year. Next next fall, he's going to." be full of all kinds of... of, uh, Come
1: to find out, the old Farmer's Almanac was really being written by a crew of three squirrels, two migratory birds, and a nest full of woolly worms. Yeah, well, you know... (laughs) And and they just watched one another and then wrote what they saw. And a groundhog, right? You know? And
0: a
2: a partridge in a pear tree. (laughs) Yeah,
1: okay. So...
0: uh, so I just got back from my trip. I was up in New York City doing an event, and uh, I flew uh, on one of the airlines that I, I will go unnamed for, for because I'm trashing them a few minutes ago. And, uh, but, see, I'm going to tell you what hub we use. That pretty much gives away what airline it is, isn't it? Um, so we flew through this uh, hub, hub in, uh, in the southern and southeastern United States. Uh, coming back... Coming back, my trip was just about exactly 12 hours door to door from the time I walked out of the hotel to the time I, I walked in the door here at Hidden River was 12 hours uh, on the airlines, including a whole bunch of ground transport and uh, sitting around in, in, a, in you know, gate area waiting areas. And, and Jeb, you were commenting to me that there's a faster way to do it. What's the, <laughs> what's the faster way? How 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 could I have come from, from Times Square, New York, to Hidden River in less than 12 hours? Uh, general aviation. Yeah, I know, right. Then you're debonair. You could have done it, right? Well,
2: what? that particular day would have been, um, yeah, we could have done it in less than 12 hours. Uh,
0: it it, it was, helps.
2: It was, it was just over seven hours into debonair uh, just a direct route just a real quick flight plan but um, there were like 50 knots on the nose the whole way so it
0: so, was slow uh, it could have been fast yeah that
2: was, a, that was a 128 knot ground speed trip and uh, I'd, be cut, I'd be slitting my wrists uh, to do that mm-hmm. so yeah I don't know what it would be no wind would probably be closer to 6 hours right so, uh, so yeah, it would have yeah. been a little bit more expensive um, it would have been a little bit more expensive. Yeah. Uh, Got to get the airplane there first. Yeah. So, um, but how how valuable is your time? Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Well, that's true. I mean, and that's a big part of it. Is is that when you factor in the value of your time,
1: um, it, it starts to that, that's that the, and the fact that you can take. Sometimes a second, third, and sometimes a fourth person for the same amount of money. Right,
0: and and that's the part of the equation that that, uh, that the people who bash business aviation don't don't you know take into consideration. You know the the you know
2: the, no, there's a lot of things they don't take into consideration. One, of course, is is the the time and, and the flexibility that you have. But the other thing is, um, if you had flown into Tampa. You, we'd be an hour and a half tacked on to the end of that. Well, no, it, you flew into Orlando and drove. Right. So, yeah, there's that factor, too. But, you know, even if you would had flown into Tampa, uh, probably only take an hour off of it.
0: Right. Oh, yeah, no, that's pro- just about right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, I, I was editing a piece um, in, uh, in March's uh, Aviation Safety uh, written by Bob Wright, former uh, FAA. He was... Uh, um, Air 800 uh, within flight standards, the general aviation branch, for a number of years. And uh, he made the point that the thing you really want to consider here is door to door time, door to door velocity, door to door ground speed. Okay. That's
1: it. Exactly.
2: And um, the ground speed door to door for general aviation has been increasing over the last couple of three decades, while the ground speed door-to-door for the airlines has been decreasing yeah. over the last couple of three decades. Yeah. Yep. And mm-hmm. you look at the hassles that, you know, getting in the terminal and things like that. So time is, is certainly valuable. I'm not suggesting that everybody should go out and buy, you know, a general aviation airplane. But if you were going to, please drive up the cost of uh, beach debonairs. <laughs>
0: yeah, right, uh, <laughs> because you never know when you might be in the market <laughs> buy, to sell. Buy a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah, you know?
2: right. Can't, don't get well, enough just, of them. Well, no, but you're really sure. A,
1: there was a NASA research guy that I knew, you know, Gimini, going back 25 years, who uh, when personal digital assistants came along, the first PDAs, sure. he started doing just exactly that as a research project. He was keeping track of his door-to-door trip mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm uh business and personal uh airlines versus i think he had a, a V series a v thirty five bonanza mm-hmm. may have been an older one uh older than that but it, he would keep door to door times uh and it was very favorable comparison g a to the airlines oh, sure sure and when we still had Air Comanche, we used to joke with people about how uh, our en route time between Wichita and Leesburg, Virginia, was actually shorter than the en route time between Wichita and, uh, uh, well, you pick yeah, uh, yeah. Dulles or, or, or Washington National.
2: Right. Well, as, as this same article um, went on, is, you know. If you're going from from New York to Chicago, <laughs> it doesn't really pay that much right. to to get on g a If you're going to a big hub to, from one hub to another, things like that um no take take an airline it's 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 more cost effective it's it's uh um, et cetera et cetera but uh, if you're going like three different places in the same day, you can't do that on the airline.
1: Or three different places in three days,
2: yeah. or and, and if you're conducting a series of meetings around the country, you know, around or around a region, um, and you know they're flexible. You might want to spend the night here. You don't know. Try try getting you know non-refundable tickets um, or, or re- refundable tickets these days uh, yeah. to, to have some flexibility built into your your schedule. And it's impossible. It, it, that or it's hideously expensive. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and, you know, some of the, the perceived, you know, inexpense of flying the airlines, um, is, is, is false. Because when you look at my trip here, so I, I flew from Orlando to LaGuardia, and I believe the ticket was about $350 round trip. Um but that's just the airline, all right? Um and I won't go into all the numbers, but there was a significant expense for uh driving expense for me to get from Hidden River to Orlando and back. Um it costs about about almost $80 to park my car at Orlando for a couple of days. Uh getting from LaGuardia into the city and then back to LaGuardia was a pair of $50 cab rides. So the ground transport part of my trip cost more than the airline part. Um, and you know so it's it's a funny equation you know and 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 as i've been raving to jeb for the last since i got back um on one level it's magic i mean it it's, it would be magic yeah. regardless of whether it's airlines or, or or personal aviation um the idea that i had breakfast yesterday morning in times square and and uh you know drinks with jeb back here at uh at hidden river you know that evening is is a miracle and you know and on one level you, you shouldn't bash it too badly
2: but uh but oh, it
1: is pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, it is. It,
2: it, you think about it, whether it's airlines, general aviation, uh, beam me up, Scotty, uh, whatever. You know, getting doing that kind of travel, you can do it by car. You know, depending on on uh, um, where you're going, and you, the main thing is is changing your venue, you know? right? Right. Being able to travel and, and uh, freely, safely. Uh, all the above uh, to get where you're going in a timely fashion and we we are very fortunate now we could be more fortunate but um yeah
1: yeah so anyways well, it, it hit me what a a modern miracle the whole system is as a collection of equipment and facilities and machines and people uh outside uh Atlanta Hartsfield Jackson uh Wednesday morning and I'm topping off the rental car before I drive back to the drop off place and turn it in. And it's maybe 200 foot overcast right. and well under a mile viz. And I'm listening to an airplane land about every 70 seconds mm. that I can't see right. until about the last eight seconds before it's due to touch down. <laughs> These damn things coming in down through the clouds. Hundred and forty knots on the nose. It, I mean, they're just you know nose up high. They're coming down through it. They get in the clear, and immediately you start to see the condensate form over the top of their wings as they begin to roll the the trim up, pitch up, and get ready to touch down on that on that touchdown zone about three hundred yards past the threshold of the runway, where the glide slope marker beacon takes them right down to the pavement and. just bloody amazing because you know that that guy hasn't seen the ground
2: for hours that's right Uh, a former passenger of mine for years was always amazed fly around for hours not see a single thing for Mm -hmm. hours at a time and fly around a little bit more descend, turn, slow down and fly steady for a few minutes and boom there's a runway
0: Yeah, how'd you do that?
1: How do you – it's <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Yeah. So uh, I well, – in, in my mind, there is no more miraculous thing in the world than the ability of folks like us to launch, climb through a cloud layer to where we're in the sunshine, but we don't see the cloud or the ground because of the clouds for hundreds of miles. Mm-hmm. Maybe don't even see the sky for hundreds of miles. Then we come down at the appropriate spots. We get turned this way and that. We intercept these different locations, artificial make-believe defined by radios or satellites. We slide down, and at some point we come out of the clouds, and there, in front of us, right where it's supposed to be, is that gorgeous-looking piece of pavement that we've been waiting for, for the last umpteen hours, that when we couldn't see anything there's no cooler feeling in the world
2: yeah. most of my passengers are, are like thank god i can get to a bathroom
1: <laughs> i have the same reaction by myself hey so uh... one of the most notable or not one
0: very notable thing about flying down here in the south florida area or further south in florida is the uh, somewhat infamous what do they call it aerostat the uh, the blimp on a oh, cable and that's not just limited to south florida well that's the one i know of is the one that's down there on the florida keys and a uh, big circle around it on the chart stay away don't you know be careful don't hit this that kind of thing they're apparently going to decommission that guy huh have you heard this story yeah and the yeah. one up
1: by cedar key and
0: yeah. Over now, is this and what I want to know is—is is this a budget cut thing, or is this because they've replaced that functionality with
2: drones or something else? They—the second paragraph of the story says funding cut. Yeah,
0: but okay. they don't
2: want you to know that it's well. Been... Yeah, I don't know. Um, there's, there's a, actually today I've been seeing a lot of press releases just in the last couple of hours, how some of the f- uh, formerly scheduled uh, military. Uh, air shows around the country um, are being cancelled formally cancelled in anticipation of all these budget woes coming up
0: well yeah we do have a bunch um, of military cuts that are yeah. coming up yeah that's true yeah. Um,
2: you know some, we don't need to discuss the propagandist. Uh, yeah, right.
0: No, we won't go too deeply <coughs> into that. Yeah, but uh, but I get the feeling that this uh, this uh, uh, blimp, if you will, the aerostat down on uh-huh. the Florida Keys is is a more permanent. You know, there there yeah. it's gone, right? He,
2: he, yeah, it, it's it's supposed to be deflated, uh, set to come down permanently on March 15th. Uh, after keeping watch over the Lower Keys since 1980, this is, in fact, on in, in, the, in the Florida Keys, um, in one of the more, more southerly points in, in the contiguous 48 states. And it was put out there f- to counter drug smuggling mm-hmm. back in the 80s when there was a lot of small boat and small airplane traffic uh, coming in from South America and Central America. Uh, that's what this was for. But we don't have that anymore. People aren't flying drugs into the country in, in Skyhawks or even, you know, 310s or or the or, um, thing like that. They're coming in by boat. They're coming in, you know, in the belly of an airliner. Um, so they don't need this anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, there are, shall we say, I'm sure other means out there. Uh, by which um, NORAD and or other uh, interested parties can, you know, scan that particular uh, landscape and figure out what's going on. So it's, basically it's just simply not needed anymore. Right. But now. Um, now the punchline. Yeah, the, punchline, the punchline is. The punchline to, is, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. While Key West or the Keys lose a, uh, um, a blimp, uh, D.C. is going to get two of them.
0: Yeah. Okay, here we okay. go. Here Welcome we to go. the 21st century. Yeah. Tell us about this, Jeff. What are they getting?
2: Okay. Headline here, this is from Reuters, uh, and this story is uh, slugged February 1, so it's a two-week-old story. Blimps to bolster Washington's air shield in test. Mm. Yep. Uh, and the, the lead graph on the story reads, a, a pair of big blimp-like craft moored to the ground and flying as high as 10,000 feet (laughs) Uh, are to be added to a high-tech shield designed to protect the Washington, D.C. area from air attack, at least for a while. Um, It's a test. They're going to be based out of an existing military facility, I want to say... So, for you know,
0: I'm trying to I'm trying to wrap my mind around this idea that's a yeah, test. So they're going to yeah, do this for a while, yeah, and test. if nobody attacks Washington D.C. with a small airplane, it will be judged a success. It
2: will be a success. Now, what they should be doing, you know, yeah. is, is is go get that Cessna 150, that 150 from Smoke down Yep. Smoketown. yep. The one with the two capital domes painted under the pilot's side <laughs> yeah, window. that's the one, okay. right. Okay, that's that one. They need to get that one and monitor where it is at all times. For listeners who don't... If they did that and did that alone... We would solve this problem overnight.
0: Yeah, for listeners who are, who, who don't know what we're talking about, um, we we were some time ago tickled by the fact that there were two instances of a small airplane, a one fifty, flying too close to Washington D.C. and causing all sorts of security scrambles and whatnot. It was
2: and the same airplane. It was the same both airplane. Both
0: airplane. Two different, different two different pilots. pilots. A rental airplane out of what Smoketown? You said Smoketown, right. And uh, t- I still have that one. Uh, I'm still subscribed to that airplane. In uh, in uh, what's what's the service called uh air air flight what's that
2: flight aware
0: flight aware thank you yes and uh, every now and then i get a uh, i get an email because apparently it doesn't fly under ifr very often um or or on a flight plan very often but uh every now and then i'll get an email saying that this airplane is is going from here to there um but uh yeah so we should use that to test the uh the the washington dc blimps and uh i don't know I don't know. If, if we just monitored where that airplane was, we wouldn't need the. Blimps. Yeah, really. Just keep an eye on that one, and everything else will be fine. Seriously, um, how the thing that scares me about these blimps is this foolish cable that extends up in the air that's basically invisible. Have there been many incidences um, with, uh, the for example, the one in the Keys or, or others of yeah, there aircraft? Was
2: cl- there was a 182 that hit the one in the Keys. It's been within the last 10 years. Um, killed everybody aboard. Four people aboard. Everybody died. Hit it at about sixty five hundred feet, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: Just out of curiosity, did anything happen to the blimp? Did it come down too?
2: It or? didn't. They no. took it down. It, it, the, it was damaged. The cable was damaged.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: But it was uh, retrieved without mm-hmm. any issues.
0: Yeah, this is um, this yeah. is the part that you know, and and to Let st- me, let I me. Mean, I mean,
2: maybe my Google flu will be strong this evening.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, while you're doing that, uh, th- this is the thing that frightens me about these things: is that is, you know, it, it was it was one thing to have one of these things flying down over the the keys where there's relatively little traffic. You're gonna put one oh, over we, over we, Baltimore. We had, a,
1: we had a spell under a prior presidential administration where, uh, for circumstances only known to them they thought that it would enhance security by eliminating indications of their location from aeronautical navigation charts yeah and like the the proviso that you're not supposed to fly over nuclear power plants during this period it was and don't hit the aerostat cable but we can't tell you where it is, national security. Right, yeah. So it's against the law to go there, but we're not telling you where there is.
2: Yeah, Right. Yeah.
1: If you hit it, we're going to prosecute you for violating the airspace. Unfortunately, we're not going to give you information about the location of that airspace. So good luck. Happy yeah. flying. And cable us if anything happens.
0: Yeah, right. Okay, yeah. No, no, it's, it's, it's over there. It's at Raleigh-Durham, right, Jeb?
1: Yeah, it's a, Yeah,
2: that's,
0: that's right. one of Jeff's well, favorite to see
1: the one at I used to see the one at Cedar Key in, uh, in south of Tallahassee in the Florida in, in the curve where it starts to curve into the
2: panhandle the big, the big bend.
1: The big bend uh you could see that aerostat sometimes it'd be 9000 10000 11000 feet and really odd to see it from altitude because you're moving Across the sky. Mm -hmm. It's moving around in the sky but basically staying in the same location. But as the wind would change a little bit, that thing would point first at you, then away from you, Mm -hmm. then it might swing on the tether a little bit. And at almost two hundred feet long, you're like, Wow, that
2: is that a seven forty seven I'm seeing over there? There was one of those deployed I don't remember exactly. It's somewhere in the southwest, and, and I, I don't recall having flown that close to the Mexican border. Maybe uh, one trip out there that way I did. But I remember watching this thing for a good five, ten minutes as, I, as it came into view and as I, and as I passed it. Um, it was, you know, was far away relative to the airplane, uh, probably 5,000 feet vertically and, and um, oh, a mile or two. Laterally, uh but it's clear as a bell good weather, and watching this thing you know kind of bobbing around, weaving there, and you know I could tell just you know the way it changed position uh in the windscreen that it was it was doing some things, but it was just you know just kind of hanging there it was just a, uh, almost a little speck on the windshield, but it kept moving
0: mhm. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the, ones, the one... Yeah.
2: Look, go, uh, that, no, no. Uh, yeah. Did you find the, anything uh, about yeah, the one? Yeah, the 182. Yeah. Uh, this is an AvWeb story from uh, April 22 of 2007. It says, three people died Friday when the Cessna 182 they were in hit the cable, used to tell their a surveillance and propaganda. <laughs> That's what it says here. And propaganda blimp over Kujo Key in the Florida Keys. <laughs> Who's the byline? Russ Diles. Russ, I love you, man. I didn't, I didn't know... <laughs> I love you big time. <laughs> um, said it was, the blimp is also, uh, was normally flown at between eight and 10,000 feet. Uh, the aircraft hit the wire at about 4,000 feet. Mm. I was wrong. It was 6,500. Airspace surrounding the blimp is restricted. I've seen this blimp also. I've flown by the restricted area. Uh, here's the part that I don't understand. Okay. Um, the airplane was on its way from Fort Lauderdale Executive Airport. To Andros Island in the Bahamas. Oh, he okay. He's <laughs> he, going the wrong
0: way. He was lost. Yeah, right. Well, no wonder he, he hit the cable. Yeah, no wonder he didn't avoid the cable. He didn't realize he was anywhere near the cable.
2: Exactly.
0: Yeah. So, anyways, well, so uh, we got to start watching out for these things. Apparently, one of these days, up in the near Baltimore area. Apparently, so uh, you know, we it's not we don't have a hard enough time staying out of D.C. and Camp David, and and you know the. Well,
2: well, The thing that I don't get and haven't been able to discern from um, the story is exactly where it's going to be based. Now, this story, it's hard to uh, pick out of it, but I don't think it says exactly where it's going to be based. There was talk in a later story or or more informed speculation that it was going to be uh, based north of of D.C. in in Maryland at some military facility there. I don't want to say Fort Detrick, but... uh, uh, something, something like that. I don't know. Right.
0: Yeah, well, it's like David said, you know, it's like you stay away from this thing, but where it is located is confident. Mm-hmm. Is it, well, you and, know.
2: and let's not be shaven uh, uh, close to it either because, uh, yeah, there's, there's a tether on this. Sometimes there are other tethers. Right. And they would spread out laterally from the aerostat itself. So give this one a wide berth. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's you know you make me think of this you down here in hidden river you you've got a pretty ser- you've got a bunch of, of radio towers not not aerostats but just traditional radio
2: towers i got a i got a serious radio you tower got a serious miles. radio tower yeah seventeen hundred you know. feet tall seventeen hundred right. and uh Come over the top of it, IFR, the minimum altitude is 2,700. Yeah. And which gives me five miles, of course, to get down and, and, and stop. And, yeah. And,
0: and, and, when, and when we go flying in this area, or, or even when I'm driving my car on the area, you know, I'm kind of looking at this thing and, and trying to, you know, just trying to imagine how you stay clear of it. I, I, I had a sort of a, a, an epiphany, a revelation. When I was looking at it on the map, that there's more to it than just the vertical tower. You know, it's 1,700 feet tall, but this particular tower, as I suppose a lot of these towers do, has a pair, has three ser- sets of guy wires right. that that go off. And I was I was looking at it on Google on uh, Google Maps satellite view and measuring it, and and so basically this t- thing that looks like just a vertical tower, 1,700 feet tall. Is actually a pyramid that is almost seventeen hundred feet on its base, all right so you gotta do more than just stay a little bit away from the tower itself you gotta look out for this whole structure it's uh you know it's a thing so this is not unlike what you were just saying with the aerostats sometimes having guy wires too so anyways uh yet another thing to keep our eyes on as we go flying here. What else let's see. Uh, yeah, safety jeb is a thing are things really safe what, what's the story here airline industry or oh, airline well, industry at its safest. airline industry since the dawn of the jet age
2: well
0: what so what's that all about where, where does what that, that come all about
2: from? is that uh, the um, record the safety record for jet powered airliners well what's the what's the uh, oh I'm sorry well let's just do it this way for US domestic uh, carrier operation 121 using uh you know uh, those rules there has not been a fatal accident in 4 years.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And that's a big deal.
0: It is a big deal and the, a lot of credit is due um you know I mean I David and I and others give them a lot of crap for the quality of the of the experience but uh it, it's safe and 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 fairly reliable you know so yeah, yeah. you know that hey. The, the, I don't know how reliable it is. Well, we'll, you know, well no, I mean, they, do, they get you there, and they get you there more or less on time, you know. Well,
1: uh, there have been uh, a remarkable number of instances, which, like last Saturday and this past Wednesday, where I had
2: same-day service.
1: Okay, David. So, but, so it's safe as
0: well, did you? But that's what you're saying. Well, here.
2: It, it's a lot safer than it used to be. All, all three of us are of an age, and we don't have to be that old to remember or to have been you know, breathing, uh, in 1985, and according to this story, more than 2,000 people died in airline crashes around the world. In that one now, year. In that one year. Yeah. Now, the, the corollary, of course, is that the worldwide uh, airline accidents have, have dropped also. But thinking strictly in the U.S., it's been four years mm-hmm. um, since a scheduled air carrier um, crashed.
0: I'm sorry, you said that it it has dropped worldwide as well, or it's. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's a good thing. No doubt about it. Congratulations to them on that. Yeah, we finally figured out how to do this. Yeah, well, let's knock on wood because I've got a lot of flying coming up in the next uh, couple months. Uh,. The, so what's this story all about, the, uh, the, SR, the Cirrus SR-22 that apparently belongs to the editor-in-chief of Flying Magazine, Robert Goyer? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I should look at the story and figure out what it's all about here. Was he in the airplane? Apparently, no. it was in a mid-air no. collision.
2: It was um, in a mid-air collision. Uh, this is a post on the Flying Magazine website, uh, actually an article, um, published on the 12th of February. Um, Goyer apparently owns all or part of an SR-22. Um, it, w- it was um, perhaps on a leaseback or something. At any rate, it was being flown by an instructor and a student or a pilot receiving instruction. Um, let me, wait, hang on a second. That's not right. Um, uh, the, let's see. The commercial pilot operating the SR-22 a friend and business associate of Goyers was, was injured, sustained minor injuries. Mm-hmm. Goyer was not aboard the airplane at the time of the accident. Right. Uh, but what they hit, what it hit, uh, was a flight instructor and a student in a 152. Mm-hmm. They also were uninjured, or were uninjured. Both aircraft, of course, were damaged. The, uh, the 152 lost its right main landing gear and um, successfully made a two-point landing. Uh, the the student and instructor got out and walked away. Um, yeah, um, three lucky souls, yeah, happened at about 3,500 feet. Said the the, the SR-22 pilot said he had not gotten a traffic alert from its uh, onboard systems. Uh, don't know if the one uh, transponder in the 152 was working, but mid-air collision. Um, it occurred on February one. Um, Holy moly! Outside. Look at this. Yeah. It
0: says, "It says uh, according to a statement given by the pilot after the accident, as the SR twenty two approached the airport at thirty five hundred feet with autopilot engaged, the windshield imploded.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Um, the there, pilot initially yeah. thought it was a bird strike.
2: Um, yikes! There, are, there are pictures of the uh, of the airplane of the SR twenty two. Anyway. Uh, or a picture of it um and the looks like the hit the, the landing gear uh with the right side of the windshield um can't tell exactly what's going on but the the roof and the windshield are damaged there uh, looks like the, the passenger side door window uh is 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 completely gone um doesn't seem to be any damage to the airframe other than that but that's certainly substantial damage
0: yeah the uh man oh man i'll tell you that's it's just one of the scariest things for me anyways about about flying is the idea of a midair um there's a handful of things like that that really frighten me but that's one of them for sure
2: well we're happy for these folks and uh yeah um so this, I'm sure, you know, coming soon to an uh, NTSB uh, accident briefing near you.
0: Yeah, you know, or or in that, uh, you know, I learned about flying
1: from this in the flying magazine, maybe I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think the title should be, I learned about insurance from this. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Mister
0: Goyer's yes, thing, another, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah that's he's another yeah,
2: um, another. Yeah. another sc- Go, no, ahead, thankfully Go ahead, Jeff. no one was injured. Yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the first thing. The airplane's kind of an intriguing uh, piece of damage to it, though. Um, the door, no problem. windshield, no problem. But the upper cabin is, is pretty well damaged, too. Yeah. Um, how do you oh, fix yeah, that? Yeah, the
1: windshield frame looks like it. Right.
2: How do you fix a composite airplane? How do you fix that upper, uh, upper fuselage portion? I'm not sure if you do. I don't know.
1: I don't know. E- epoxy. And a revell kit. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Get some of that hundred mile an hour tape, you know. You know, just
2: no, man. You gotta use airplane glue. What's wrong <laughs> with you
0: people? There you go. So uh, let's see now. Another story about a cirrus. This is an S R twenty. Story I'm reading from avweb.com. Let's see what's the date on this issue. This has been around for a while. This is a Jan, late January 2013. Uh, N- NTSB says a Cirrus sr 20 that parachuted to safety last week oh, in yeah. Danbury, Connecticut was out of fuel. Uh, in its preliminary report on the incident, which was widely publicized in the mainstream media, the NTSB says the aircraft with a flight instructor, another pilot, and a third person on board was on final. Now, see, this is where it gets interesting to me. Was on final for the Danbury Airport when the pilot flying radio to air traffic control that the aircraft was, quote, out of fuel. All right. But they weren't like on final a quarter mile out. Is it in this story? I saw it in some story. They were on final like five miles away or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they, this is where they came to the ground. Maybe, maybe, maybe they weren't on unfa- fire. They, they came to the ground some distance away. And so although I credit these people for saving their lives when they got in a jam, and, and God bless these, these, parach- these airplane, or parachute-equipped airplanes, but uh, I, I'm not, you know, running out of gas is just, don't do that. Don't do that.
1: There are airplanes that run just fine without gasoline, but nothing with a motor is among them. Yeah.
0: Well, see, now I'm trying to find the rest. I, I, okay, here we go. Uh, the plane settled to the ground about three miles from the airport. Right. So he ran out of gas some miles from the airport while he theoretically was on final. Uh, making little finger quotes here. Um, trying
1: to visualize how this incident well, it, happened here. It, it, and and remember, Jack, it, it, let's say he was three miles and a thousand feet when he pulled the parachute, or one mile and a thousand feet when he pulled the parachute. uh... Wind could blow him too. Uh, I guess. As he descends from yeah. the,
2: but it, that. It, so it,
1: it's really hard to it, it associate did. a whole lot without knowing exactly where he was it's, in the it, pattern and when he pulled the hand.
2: And it's. Guys, it's irrelevant. Yeah. Okay. He ran out of gas. He ran out of gas. Yeah. Yeah, I know. He, right right away, he's 30 minutes short. <laughs> <his> gas,
0: okay? <laughs> right. It's like, I was close. I almost made it. I don't know. Uh, you know?
2: No, r- right away, he's 30 minutes off on his fuel estimation, okay?
0: Yeah, right, because he yeah. should have... Yeah, right, yeah. exactly, yeah.
2: So, I'm sorry, but no.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's... I'm. I'm not... I mean... I don't mean to sound cold, but I'm not very sympathetic, you know. And, of course, the day will come when I'll run out of gas, and then a little joke will be on me. Well, but, you know, they're,
2: uh, uh, let him no, you won't. Without no, Sam you won't. first not yeah. Yeah. yeah, David, what you did you won't say?
0: Have para- you won't have a parachute. You won't run out of gas. <laughs> you think that's what it? Well, I don't know. Are you making a joke, David, or are you
1: saying that the parachute makes people makes people uh, careless? I'm um, saying that having been involved in this discussion, if you don't have a parachute, you'll know better than to run out of gas.
0: Well, see, that's an interesting that's an interesting point of view. You could be right. Um, but uh that that's a whole big discussion.
2: Uh, yeah. I'm not sure I wanna I'm not sure I understand what he's just said, and I'm not sure I want to. <laughs>
1: I'm not talking this has nothing to do with whether you have a parachute. Yeah. Huh?
2: Uh-huh.
1: This is all how 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 focused we get on really truly dumb like this, and how it influences our thinking to not be that dumb later.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: I don't want to be like this guy.
2: No, no. Yeah, and I
1: don't even
0: know. if I have a parachute. You know, I mean, we've dug into this enough now, Jeb. Are, are you, can you quickly check for us and see if there's an NTSB on this yet? There's a pre- I'm sure there's a prelim. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, a
2: prelim. I, I'd, like yeah. to
0: know, I'd like to know if it has any more detail about the nature of this running out of fuel, um, whether oh, it was— It won't.
2: It won't. It won't at this stage. The, um, the, the AvWeb story says that uh, it was an out-and-back flight, okay, um, that around—excuse <clears throat> me, the round trip was 150 miles. Okay. When did this occur? This was February 1, January 1?
1: The, 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 they have web reports out of the preliminary. I yeah. mean, that's what spurred it.
0: The stories dated January 30th, Jeb, so it would have been someplace, sometime in, in January or
2: even December. Oh, stories dated January thirty. okay.
1: Well, the week yeah. before. Yeah. yeah Preliminaries tend to come out pretty quickly. Yeah, the,
0: we'll know when we do it. Give him a second. He'll, he'll either find it or not, and we can move on here. Here, here, it, is.
2: here it is. Here it is. Um... Let's see. Uh, VMC, no flight plan, da-da-da-da-da. Was on approach to runway 26 at, um, what is it, Danbury, Connecticut, and experienced a total loss of engine power. And the pilot reported that the airplane was, quote, out of fuel to air traffic control. Um, The pilot pulled a chute, descended into trees three miles northeast of the airport. Ampanage uh, separated, fuselage sustained substantial damage. Initial examination by the FAA did not, did not reveal any visible fuel in the airplane's fuel tanks, okay. nor were there any indications of a fuel spill at the accident site. Okay. After the airplane was re- recovered, approximately 26 ounces of fuel was drained from the airplane's fuel system. It doesn't say anything. It says, you know, we flew here, flew there, and, and we're coming back. Flight instructor, private pilot, and passenger. Okay. So
0: it sounds like he just plain ran out of gas. I mean, we'll know more later, and I'm sorry, we shouldn't do that because we we can't speculate too much here. But, uh,
1: but that's what the pilot said. Yeah, no, I know. I know. He said like speculating right. on, well, right. gee, did he run out of gas or did the fuel pump fail? Well, and that's my question. Exactly. You know, and
2: uh, this, but this, I think we have the answer. But I think we have an I, answer I, here. I think the the question Jack is trying to ask is, what led to this outcome? What did the pilots do or not do um, that allowed them to run out of gas? Everybody knows we shouldn't be running out of gas. Yeah. Um, anyways. So what were what the circumstances leading up to this? And that's a good question, but we're not going to find out from this NTSB yeah. Well, maybe we'll try and track this and
0: see what we learn as they learn it, but uh, anyways. One last thing before we uh, wrap this thing up here. I just wanted to touch base on a story that I'm a little confused about. There was a story um, in the news a week or two ago about tetraethyl lead, uh, about the uh, additive that makes leaded gasoline leaded. And man, talk
1: about much to do about nothing.
0: Well, yeah. So is this? So the story that was in the news about I don't know two weeks ago was that this, and we've talked in the past about Jeb. Am I right about this? There's this one company in the world well, that still makes this.
2: That's what this article says. Right. There's, there's two stories here. Both of these are from AppWeb. Right. Um, Russ Niles wrote the first one. Um, and uh, basically he's saying, the American-owned company that is the world's sole producer of tetraethyl lead um, reportedly told its shareholders it will stop producing TEL, tetraethyl lead, for automotive fuel uh, by the end of this year. Now, uh, countries other than the U.S., um, still allow lead in their automotive fuel and that's one of the reasons um, that this company's been still producing TEL for uh, for MoGas um, no um, it will continue production however it will continue production of, of TEL as long as aviation needs it even right. if it doesn't make it for cars anymore
0: right now that was the story that we heard about whatever it was a week or two ago right. this was and, january
2: twenty nine
0: and every and, and and we all I think somewhat justifiably got a little nervous because we were thinking okay we 're that much closer to not even be able to get one hundred low lead but now the second story that is on the list here suggests that the first story was some sort of of mistake, um, and that this company has not announced that they 're going to stop I, and that 's what i 'm trying to understand here, and I wondered if you guys had any any more insights into this.
1: Well, the initial story was accurate to the extent that the company was talking about making the uh, chemical uh, in question and supplying it for auto fuel. Right. For road fuels. Right. Period. Right. Period. Right. Period. Okay. The rest of it was somebody's assumption. But the second story here,
0: also from Avweb, in this in this particular case, it's a, a blog post by Paul Burrelli, where he says that this was actually a scare, and it turns out that this wasn't the case
1: after all, and uh, uh, that they're not going to stop making it for cars. Uh, I, I, I guess what the, what the Paul Burrelli
0: story really says is that it's not clear cut that this is not like a, a you know time to hit the panic button in, in because. Yeah.
2: The, the, I'm not sure that that's... What do you think I, I, it says, Jim? I'm not sure what Paul's getting at, but um, going back to the original story, which apparently he's not refuting, uh, but the original story says the company's going to stop producing TEL for automotive fuel. They will continue to produce it for aviation. Paul doesn't seem to contradict that, but I think he's really kind of using that as a lever to talk about uh, just the whole, um, whole gas replacement uh, process in, in a nutshell. Um it, at towards the end of it, uh he says that this 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 American company, Inospec, is not the only source of TEL. Uh, he says he'd heard from a Chinese from Chinese sources at Oshkosh that China makes its own avgas gas indigenously uh, for, with its own TEL production. And that may well be uh the case. Uh apparently it's been confirmed by other um other people knowledgeable about um, general aviation in, in China. Um but um I don't know that that's, I don't think that really refutes the original story, though.
0: Yeah, it's confusing. I guess we don't understand well, it. We'll have to.
2: It's not. It's not all that confusing. That company said it's going to stop making that uh, that particular chemical, and uh, apparently it also says so on its on the company's website. Um, uh, give me a minute here. I'll find all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, uh, the company says on its website. Yeah, let's try, let's try that link. Huh. Okay. Um, as the world's only manufacturer of TEL, we have made an absolute, absolute commitment to supply the product to the aviation industry for as long as it is required, even after we are no longer manufacturing tetraethyl lead for automotive fuels.
0: Well, that's a nice thing to say. I hope it's true. It is. Yeah.
2: It is. Yeah. We should so. maybe invest in these people.
0: Yeah, no, I don't know. Part of this part of this is also confusing because there was a there was this related not related but this sort of, you know, kind of uh, related story in Mother Jones um about uh mm-hmm. um some research that indicated that the reason what was it that's uh, now I'm blanking on what it was but but about
2: be- yeah, the Mother Jones story talking about crime rates crime that's what it
0: was. With, yeah.
2: Um it wasn't
0: Airports per se. No, it was automobiles. It was I mean, it was automobiles. Automobile.
2: Yeah, it led from automobiles and, and uh, basically in urban areas.
0: Right. And, I guess. and people. Yeah, people over the last few years have been been kind of amazed that crime has dropped pretty dramatically in the big urban areas in the United States, and and it, the conventional wisdom was that this was the result of some you know, kind of savvy social engineering and, you know, programs and police forces and that kind of thing. But this particular research tries to make the connection between the phase-out of leaded gasoline and thus lead in the air, all right, and crime particularly in cities where there are a lot of cars and a lot of pollution Uh, made a fairly compelling case i read parts of the article and thought oh well that's that's interesting uh,
2: i came across you know came across the article also and and read it and and correlations are are fairly strong paul raises a, a good point here what other correlations can we can we can we look at here um it's almost it's almost too uh perfect okay but I don't know. Uh, maybe it's, maybe it's, there, there's, there's certainly no doubt that crime rates have been dropping for years. So I don't know.
0: Yeah. Anyways, so. Uh, Sounds like a clinky do. So if we need the TEL, chances are we can continue to get it for a little while longer, at least, is, is I guess, the punchline here, right?
2: Okay. Well, well I think,
1: go ahead. Every time this has come up before, and it has come up before. Yeah, I remember there was a big uh uh you know, sucking air out of the room inhale hail over word that the company was gonna stop producing TEL back in two thousand ten or so. And it turned out not to be true. And they said, Nope, we're gonna produce it as long as the aviation community still needs it, which means as long as the aviation community is still buying it, they're producing it. So uh in the time before that when it came and, up. And, is oh, and, wow, it's going to get scarce.
2: Why wouldn't they?
1: What? Why wouldn't exactly. they? Exactly.
2: They've got a ready-made product. They know how to make it. They've got the tooling. They've got the raw materials. They've got the distribution channel. There's a, a built-in demand that they kind of sort of control. They got a monopoly. Why wouldn't they want to continue making this?
0: Well, and that's what they've said. So I guess maybe there's mm-hmm. no controversy here. There's no scandal here, as much as we try to find one. And uh, and I well, I was working on it, but I guess I failed.
1: Yeah, David. I I think I think that some of the I, I think some of our colleagues get a little hyper over this stuff when they see something in printed involving one mode of transportation and extrapolate into territory where it where it's not true and maybe if they extrapolated less and backed up with confirmation phone calls more uh they could waste less space on getting hyperbolic over stuff that's not going to happen yeah but that's just me
0: shoutouts what do we got here so uh is is uh is uh, um is it Deborah Hersman, the uh, head of the NTSB? Is she going to be the new uh, Secdot? That's a good question. This story seems to think that. Uh, where is this story from? Let's see. This is uh, this is Avweb. Um, in any second, it's going to come up on my screen. Uh, uh, Avweb's uh, Hersman seen as likely cabinet pick. Deborah Hersman, who's been the head of the NTSB since 2009, is a top contender, according to various sources. Christian Science Monitor cited unspecified reports saying that Hersman will be President Obama's choice to fill the slot. But Hersman declined to comment. Yeah. So uh,
2: you guys see... Science, Christian Science Monitor and Wall Street Journal. Um, on this topic, those are not authoritative sources. Okay.
0: But uh, I seem to remember that you, you guys felt like she would be
2: an interesting candidate, a good candidate. I think she'd be a very... Uh, interesting Ken I think she's a little inexperienced for that post. Um. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's young, she's talented, she's smart. I had the pleasure of interviewing her a couple of years ago at Oshkosh. Um, she's, she's on the way up. I'm not sure this is her time for SecDot. Um, but she would be a good choice. I'm just thinking maybe there are some other, uh, choices out there also. Um, There's some other stories that had touched on uh, speculation as to who might be in the running. Um, Jim Oberstar, former congressman from uh, Minnesota uh, and former chairman of the House um, um, Transportation Infrastructure Committee, uh, was a name mentioned. He's, I think, uh, probably reveling in his retirement. The last thing he would want to do would be come back and, and, and play Washington again. I don't know. I mean, maybe so. Um, some other names were mentioned. Um, there was uh, whoever's administrator of um, one of the other administrations within DOT, one of the other agencies within DOT. I forget which one they were talking about. uh was, a, was mentioned almost in passing. Um, There's a couple of members of Congress who, who would easily fit that bill. Um, they would easily move move into that slot if they if they wanted to i don't know it, it's going to be interesting uh well we could do a lot worse than Hurstman. don't miss absolutely
1: could do a lot worse than her, do a lot worse than some... her.
2: And she and she's done some very interesting work over the years at NTSB most recently if anybody's been following the 787 uh battery uh issue um she's been out in front her agency's been out in front on this um and uh they're doing the right things they're doing it meticulously and that's a high visibility thing so who knows she's she's got the the visibility right now Well, and believe it or not
1: believe it or not some people had actually anticipated questions like this and yeah. back last fall there were some other names being floated around as possible possible replacements for uh, Ray Lahood uh the current mayor of LA, Antonio Villarosa. He's one he spent a lot of his uh administration focused on improving surface transportation uh and uh and uh inner city rail between San Francisco and, and LA uh a former governor Ed Rendell from Pennsylvania, his name was coming up uh this one would surprise me, but, uh, U.S. Representative Steve LaTourette, uh, a Republican, and Mr. LaHood was a Republican member of Congress previous to President Obama appointing him. So appointing another moderate Republican, uh, this one from Ohio wouldn't yes, be, uh, unheard of.
2: Because our long national nightmare of not having any Democrats qualified for transportation policy role must continue.
1: Well, it's funny. Democrats tend to qualify for that job more often when Republicans are in the White House. I mean, uh Norm Minetta. I
2: know. I know.
1: Uh anyway, it, Oberstar was on the list. Earl Blumenauer, uh Democrat from Oregon, member of Congress. Uh Jane Garvey's name was being
2: circulated
1: that she's a I, I, former FAA she's administrator. She's former FAA.
2: I, 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 could see. I think Hal freezes a over lot. first. Yeah, I think Hal freezes over first. Also, uh, probably on her uh, request by by anybody else's, but I'm not sure the labor would like her back either. Um, that said, uh, we could do a lot worse than Jane Garvey.
1: Absolutely, and then former Kansas Governor Bill Graves, uh, moderate Republican, who's been a head of the American Trucking Associations since not long after he left the governor's mansion here in uh, Kansas, uh, up in our state capital, Topeka. Uh, I can just about guarantee that, given the state of politics in this state right now that he's a Republican that Mr. Obama could nominate for this position who would have uh, trouble attracting much support from some of his fellow party members, which Hmm. in my mind means that he's probably a better candidate than some of the others.
2: (laughs) I knew that was coming.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, no, I was going to ask if you other there other shoutouts. Oh, shout out! Shout out! Um, oh,
1: you, you got hat, one, Chip.
2: Yeah. Hats off to Mary Sillich. Uh, Mary Sillich. Um, oh, um, well, the reason the hats off to her is women. Uh, the uh, women in aviation international uh, will be inducting Mary into their hall of fame uh, on uh, in mid March. Beware the Ides of March. March sixteen. Um, in Nashville at their annual uh, convention. Uh, Mary uh, a very, someone I consider to be a, both a mentor and a very close friend. I work, had the pleasure of working under her and, and uh, her husband, Nicholas, at pro, uh, yeah, Professional Pilot Magazine back in the mid-'90s. I was a, a news stringer and uh, got to know Mary, worked with her for a number of years, ended up buying her airplane. Her uh, the, she's, She and her husband sold me the airplane I have now. It was her airplane for a long time before that. And she's getting this award. She got an award a couple of years ago uh, from the Arkansas Aviation Hall of Fame for uh, Arkansas being her birth state. Uh, but now she's getting one from WAI, and I think that's just wonderful. And v- big, big uh, round of congrats and applause for for Mary Sillage.
1: Yeah, here, here. Let me let, let me second that. Uh, I think Jeb knows uh, Mary better than me. Mary and I got to know one another when right. she was the editor of the Seaplane Pilots Association magazine and working out of Frederick, and I was working for some association there, and we. You know, we we became friends. We stayed in touch over the years. Nicholas was one of the biggest toots that yeah. I've ever met in the yeah. business. Uh, just a a real departure from what you usually meet in the yeah. aviation community, and uh, just great all around people. And no more deserving person mm-hmm. in in, the, in in aviation than uh, Mary Silich for this. And my hat's off to her too. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Any other shout-outs? No? Okay. Well, time to stick
0: a fork in this one. Uh, one of those voices is Jeb Burnside, a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, you been working on anything fun?
2: Well, as I mentioned earlier, um, got the uh, March issue of uh, Aviation Safety Magazine to bed. Um, just finished up a piece for um, Aircraft Electronics Association in their uh, Avionics News uh, magazine. Um, talking about um what is the status of FAA's NextRad program late and uh, came a- <laughs> yeah well came across some some interesting information uh one of its major components is in fact running a little bit behind uh and not coincidentally millions and millions of dollars behind but uh the real to ter- you know the real issue here is by the time all this gets installed or gets approved or gets developed or or whatever the uh, the phrase is, is going to be superseded by other technologies. So, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm.
0: And so is that uh, it, it, yeah. So and that's a story in the magazine.
2: Well, it's it's that's not the theme of the of the piece, but that's you know kind of the, one of the undercurrents. But that's the, the the piece in the magazine. Yeah.
0: Cool. We'll have to look for that. that.
2: Yeah. Um, uh, Aea dot net. Yep. And that that issue is probably not on the street yet. Okay,
0: and in general, where can people find you on the internet?
2: Ah, uh, let's see: AviationSafetyMagazine.com, dot uh, com, aea dot net, um, Burnside dot com. Also, uh, Facebook, and I think that Twitter machine too. Sometimes,
0: yeah. What are you on Twitter? So people know we should we should add this. We don't usually do that. <sighs> Burnside J, I believe. That's I believe that's correct. Yes, Burnside J, Twitter slash Burnside J. Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales magazine. David, what have you been working
1: on? Well, I got a uh, a piece that'll be out in uh, World Aircraft Sales magazine in about two weeks uh, on the uh, FAA's latest uh, safety advisory for operators encouraging them to get their pilots heads out of the flight management systems and their hands on the controls and spend some quality time practicing all those maneuvers that the fms does for them so smoothly and efficiently to see if they can really do it by hand if they needed to because it seems as we've uh... started to conquer one uh, uh frustrating accident caused uh a new one has emerged mm-hmm. uh fifteen years ago control flight into terrain was the bugaboo that was frustrating the daylights out of safety officials and 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 threatening the lives of pilots and now it's loss of control, and that's particularly showing up among air carrier and business aviation pilots turbine pilots. And the uh, consensus is, uh, and this is going back a, a year and a half or two years, the consensus is that even though a lot of these folks go to recurrent training at some professional facility with a level D simulator twice a year, that the amount of time spent focusing on failures of rarely failed systems on the aircraft And the dependency on all the automation that's built into the way they fly these aircraft has led to a serious deterioration of hand-flying skills among a lot of these pilots. So the FAA is recommending that business operators in particular send their guys back out in 172s and 182s and and, and Cherokees and Arrows and Moonies and, 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 and to pull the breaker on the autopilot or the flight management system and... Make them do all these approaches the old-fashioned way. Yeah, and
0: that's going to be in uh, World Aircraft Sales. Did you Definitely say that'll
1: be in the March issue of World Aircraft Sales? And Coming up in your FBO the last week of February. Yeah, it can be found in the Pilot Lounge of all your finer
0: FBOs. Right, and uh, and where can people find you on the internet in general? Wow, well, I
1: don't know. Uh, <laughs> why? Why <laughs> would Twitter? anyone want to do a thing yeah, like that? Well, what am I thinking? Yeah, I'm David. Twitter, I'm at
0: uh, real Higdon. That's right, that's right, and uh, and you actually do post there
1: every now and then, and uh, uh, once in a while. And then there's world. It's there's Avbuyer dot com. There's AEA dot net. Uh, although I got to get back in the saddle with the editor over there, uh, there may someday be some of my stuff back at magazine dot com.
0: Too much information, David. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else caught what he just said. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I did. And I'm a private pilot, a freelance <laughs> writer, and a new media producer. Please check out my latest Kindle ebook, Around the Field, Volume 2, Stories of the People, Places, and Planes of the Oshkosh Flyin'. Uh, you can read it on your Kindle device uh, or with your Kindle reader software on your iPad, your laptop, or your desktop computer. Uh, and you can learn about all of my Kindle uh, books uh, at Amazon.com slash author slash Jack Hodgson. And in general, learn more about me at JackHodgson.com uh, or AroundTheField.net. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for his help with the show notes and in the forums. Uh, please take a few minutes to check out Echo, the General Aviation Online media channel at UncontrolledAirSpace.com slash Echo. And don't forget, you check, the, check out the rest of the UCAP website. You can chat with us directly uh, and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace. Forums, You can see who's doing what on the New Ratings webpage of fame, and much, much more. All of that
1: is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, were you going to say something? Well, best way to get to be our age is to spend a lot of time flying anything. Fly anything, because no matter what you fly, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. So long.
0: And that's enough talking. Let's go
2: flying. EMF.